We are going to begin here with what appears to be the largest abuse scandal to shake the American Catholic Church yet. After a two-year investigation, a Pennsylvania grand jury today alleged decades of abuse of children by more than 300 men described as predator priests. It detailed the accounts of more than 1,000 children but said there are likely thousands more victims. And the report says church leaders protected the priests in a cover-up that went all the way to the Vatican. If you wish to skip Jake and Richard's introduction to the Catholic Church episodes, please fast forward to the 10 minutes, 30 second marker of the podcast. You just heard audio from CBS Evening News. The voice you heard was CBS Evening News anchor Jeff Glore from a segment of their broadcast on August 14th, 2018, entitled Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report Details Alleged Priest Abuse. To start, if you choose to listen to these upcoming three episodes, please know that the subject matter you are about to hear is quite graphic. Due to the gravity of the story covered uh, on this three-part episode, Jake and I found the regular intro music to be inappropriate and instead have decided to play clips from that CBS Evening News segment intermittently throughout these episodes. You'll hear CBS Evening News anchor Jeff Glore, reporter Nikki Batiste, and Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro. This intro will play at the beginning of each episode. If you are struggling with the recent news surrounding the Catholic Church, we implore you to call the Mental Health Desk for the Wellness Center at 773-508-2530 or the Terry Student Center at the Water Tower Campus at 312-915-6360. Additionally, Father Jerry Overbeck can be reached at 312-915-7186. And if you for any reason need to report an incident of child sexual abuse, God forbid, the toll-free crisis hotline number for Darkness to Light, an organization dedicated to help children and adults needing local information or resources about sexual abuse, can be reached at 866-367-5444. If you are having thoughts of suicide, please do not hesitate to pick up the phone and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. We spoke to three separate members of the Loyola Chicago Law School community, including Nick Zouch, Amanda Burns, and Professor John Breen. These interviewed covered their personal experiences with Catholicism, as well as the current controversies surrounding the Catholic Church. We approached these interviews with great care, humility, and at times, some levity. We would like to take this time to thank all our three guests for agreeing to speak with us. For those who have not heard of the recent scandal surrounding the Catholic Church, allow us to give a brief synopsis. There are two separate stories. The first is regarding a Pennsylvania grand jury indictment which listed 301 priests and over 1,000 child victims. The second is regarding Cardinal Theodore McCarrick, who has been alleged to have used his authority to sexually harass and abuse young seminarians as well as minors, allegations which Archbishop Carlo Maria Vagano claims that Pope both Pope Benedict XVI and Pope Francis were aware of for years. The details of both stories are quite damning. In regard to the Pennsylvania grand jury indictment, Richard and I will read a few excerpts 
which have been detailed in an article by the New York Times on August 14, 2018, in an article entitled Catholic Church Sexual Abuse Scandal, Seven Excerpts from the Grand Jury Report. The New York Times writes, Those cases include a priest who the grand jury says raped a seven-year-old girl while visiting her in the hospital after she got her tonsils out. Another priest made a nine-year-old boy give him oral sex, then rinsed the boy's mouth out with holy water to purify him. The indictment reads, One priest was willing to admit to molesting boys, but denied reports from two girls who had been abused. Quote, they don't have a penis, end quote, he explained. Another priest asked about uh, abusing his parishioners, refused to comment. With my history, he said, anything is possible. Yet another priest finally decided to quit after years of child abuse complaints, but asked for and received a letter of reference for his next job at Walt Disney World. The article states the grand jury used strong language to hold leaders of the church accountable for enabling and protecting the abusers. The indictment reads, what we can say, though, is that despite some institutional reform, individual leaders of the church have largely escaped public accountability. Priests were raping little boys and girls, and the men of God who were responsible for them not only did nothing, they hid it all for decades. Monsignors, auxiliary bishops, bishops, archbishops, cardinals have mostly been protected. Many, including named in the, those named in this report, have been promoted. Until that changes, we think it is too early to close the book on the Catholic Church sex scandal. The indictment reads, In another case, a priest raped a girl, got her pregnant, and arranged an abortion. The bishop expressed his feelings in a letter. Quote, This is a difficult time in your life, and I realize how upset you are. I, too, share your grief. End quote. But... The letter was not for the girl. It was addressed to the rapist. On June 28, 2003, a second known victim wrote a statement detailing the sexual abuse committed by Reverend Edward R. Graff on him. The second known victim indicated the, the abuse occurred in the rectory of the Holy Guardian Angels Elementary and Middle School when the second victim was in the seventh grade. The second victim detailed the grooming techniques of Graff. After a grooming period, Graff had him take his pants down and sit down. Graff then fondled the second victim's penis as Graff masturbated. According to the second victim, when he questioned Graff about the abuse, Graff responded by telling the second victim that it was, quote, okay because he was, quote, an instrument of God. The second victim indicated the abuse occurred over the six, next six months as Graff would have the second victim come into his room where Graff would masturbate both himself and the second victim. The second victim believed his friends and other boys were also abused by Graff during the same period. However, the Diocesan statement stands in stark contrast to the evidence held within the records of the diocese. While the diocese stated that they were surprised, internal records documenting the opinions of the bishops showed constant references to Graff as being a risk, a concern, and a legal liability. This language was much more consistent with language used in re relation to predatory priests than a priest with a drinking problem. In another instance, one priest was accused of abusing many members of the same family during the 1980s. The indictment reads, at St. John the Evangelist Church, Gaela met a family who warmly embraced him as their parish priest. The family included eight girls and one boy. Gaela began sexually abusing the girls, 
almost immediately upon his appointment to the parish. Gaela sexually abused five of the eight girls. Gaela also abused other relatives of the family. His conduct included a wide array of crimes cognizable as misdemeanors or felonies under Pennsylvania law. The grand jury also uncovered a ring of predatory priests who shared intelligence or information regarding victims, created pornography using the victims, and exchanged victims among themselves. The indictment reads, George recalled that each of these priests had a group of favored boys who they would take on trips. The boys received gifts, specifically gold cross necklaces. George stated, the priest told me that they, the priest, would give their boys, their altar boys, or their favorite boys, these crosses. So he gave me a big gold cross to wear. The grand jury observed that these crosses served as another purpose beyond grooming of the victims. They were a visible designation that these victims were victims of sexual abuse. They were a signal to other predators that the children had been desensitized to sexual abuse and were optimal targets for further victimization. The other controversy, as previously mentioned, involves Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. This story is not as detailed as the Pennsylvania grand jury indictment, but the scandal still has shaken the Catholic Church and beyond, as it is the first time sexual abuse cover-up allegations have gone as high as the Pope. Cardinal McCarrick is accused of, quote, inappropriately touching men and boys as young as 11. The New York Times reported that between 1994 and 2008, there were multiple reports about the Cardinal's alleged misconduct with adult seminary students made to American bishops, the Pope's representative in Washington, and Pope Benedict XVI. The allegations state the church officials have not only known for decades about McCarrick's abuse allegations, but have even gone so far as to pay off the alleged victims for their silence. One victim, former priest Robert Sholek, claims that the church paid him $80,000 for agreeing not to speak to the media. McCarrick was very close to Pope John Paul II and spent times with President George W. and First Lady Laura Bush, as well as Secretary of State John Kerry. He was also a regular guest on Meet the Press. He was seen as a, quote, liberal Catholic, but had conservative views on abortion. Because of the sheer volume of information for both of these accusations, certain things are bound to fall through the cracks. As Jake and I attempted to keep these two stories separated in discussions, there are times where ourselves and our guests reference details of the accusations incorrectly. For that, we apologize. We'll now play for you an interview with one of our three guests. Priests were rape, raping little boys and girls, and the men of God who were responsible for them not only did nothing, they hid it all for decades. All right, and now we have on uh, Nick Zouch. Nick is a third-year law student at Loyola. Uh, he attended Catholic school K-12, graduated from the University of Madison, Wisconsin-Madison, then did a year of service in AmeriCorps working uh, in uh, a school in Milwaukee. He's a child law fellow at Loyola. Uh, his whole family is involved in the Catholic Church and ministries. Uh, Mom and dad volunteer a lot. Uh, he has attended Mass at least once a week for his entire life, with very few exceptions. Uh, and his girlfriend, who is wonderful, agreed, uh, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> served uh, in Jesuit Volunteer Corps and uh, is currently working at Cristo Rey National Office, a national Jesuit educational school network. 
Uh, Nick, thanks for coming on. Thanks, Richard. Appreciate it. Nick, yeah. Oh, yeah, Nick, also, thank you for coming on. Uh, <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> All right, um, so let's start with a little foundational. So you've been going to, you were raised Catholic. Uh, they baptized, correct? Believe baptized so, at birth? Baptized no. at like six months or, okay. I don't know when it is. I Whenever, yeah. 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 Confirmed. Yeah. The whole. Confirmed in junior high school. Okay. All nine yards. Uh-huh. He's right. the real deal. Yeah. And, and I've even gotten the anointing of the sick too. I'm knocking them all down so far. So. What do you mean? Um, so, anointing of the sick you can get when you're sick. And I uh-huh. happened to uh, get diagnosed. I was, I was, ended up in the hospital for Crohn's disease and I got anointing of the sick right after which was not a rare honor, but my mom wanted me to do it, so I did. What does that mean? What is anointing anointing of the sick? So, and I'm a little fuzzy, because this was like 13 years ago. Uh I was like 12 or 13, but Mm. um, you can ask the priest to do it, and a lot of people do it before surgeries. Okay, Um, in case something happens. Yeah, and it's essentially this holy oil that they put on your Uh, your forehead, forehead, lips, and heart, or something like that, and the priest says a prayer. Uh Um, But... You know, so it's a little bit more cherry than the last rites, but uh. yeah. <laughs> Interestingly enough, yeah. Um, my father, so my my dad's alive, and uh-huh. my grandpa has since passed. But when my father was in grade school, he went to a school in Milwaukee. Um, he got taken out of school in the fourth grade, and he got taken to the hospital because his father was being given his last rites. Mm. Um, did he pass he away? He did not, which surprised me. I thought like that was kind of. Like you're on death's door. That's right. Like, exactly. You know, let's close yeah. the book. Uh, <laughs> but actually, my, my grandfather had malaria and a number of other things. Yeah, malaria. It, was not, it, was, it he, didn't. It didn't look like it was going to turn. Yeah. No. And um, I only learned about this a few years ago from my grandmother. It's obviously not something we talk about. Yeah, a lot in the family. It's not kitchen table stuff. No. <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, yeah, my dad. How do you get malaria? He was a paratrooper in World War II. Oh, uh, wow. So he Good he fought in the South Pacific. And, mm-hmm. um, I think it's funny if this is any indication of my family's faith. <laughs> His best friend was a, was a Protestant. Uh-huh. And he, I don't know this guy's name. In fact, my grandfather never talked about the war, but um, my, my grandfather was wounded three times while in the South Pacific on some godforsaken island. Right. And his best friend next to him was shot and killed by a sniper. And... The, my, my grandma refers to him as the Protestant. <laughs> you know. Which I, I think is... There's something pretty dark about yeah. that, right? <laughs> I, I think it was partially my grandfather's way of dealing with the, the trauma yeah. of it, but... Sure. Uh, but he got malaria and was wounded three times. Wow. Was, yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. Wow. God bless him. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. Thank, thank him for his service. Um, uh, uh, okay. Wait, hold on. What is is there a process that goes into revocation of the last rites? Yeah, right. <laughs> That's a really good question. Turn back the wheels like, on that one. Because of that walking point, down. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, they are no longer less right. Like right. I get doing it that you are it's a near certainty that he's gonna die, but right. like how do you walk down? Uh, I don't know. You walk around with like this grisly death watch. And you're like, this guy's got his last right. I mean, I would imagine it's. I'm probably get a priest on to talk about that. But. I, I never, I never had the chance to ask my grandfather because I found about this after he passed. But, right. Um, it would be. I bet it's a pretty short list of people who have got their last right. rights and are still. I know. Six right. Feet above ground. He might hold know? the Guinness yeah. record for that. Yeah. And this was back in like 
I would say 63 or so. I mean, uh-huh. was, my grand, my dad was born in 55, so somewhere around like 65. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Jeez, wow. And so being brought up in Catholic school, I mean, um, that really goes, I feel like, one of two ways. I mean, do they either absolutely stomp the Catholicism out of you or... Into you. Or into, into, you, you or, yeah. into you or out of you. Uh, what was your experience in Catholic school? I mean, was it like a real deal, like nuns t- taught all the classes or something like that? I mean, no. No. So, so I was in grade. I was in two different schools. So uh-huh. my, I was, I went to Saint Eugene Parochial School, K through eight, and that was a fine school. Um, I think most people would agree that middle school sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an awesome time, but no. It's you are the exception to the rule. <laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible. Um, from my recollection, it was not beat into us at all. Right. I think it was, I don't remember anything from grade school, but what I do remember is that I learned a lot about the Catholic Church, and not, not in an uncomfortable way. Um, we did we did say prayers every day but during religion class. We had yeah. to know all of the prayers by heart. We had quizzes on it and all mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. but there were no nuns. Um, I remember. What year were you born, sorry? I was born in 93. Okay, so grade, middle school would have, I guess grade school would have been right when the, when the Boston Globe Spotlight story broke, but middle school, that would have been after, so... Right, yeah. yeah. Right. Sorry, I just wanted to... I was in my own head doing something. Right, so my, so my faith, I don't say it took off, but I think it got a more solid foundation once I got to high school, which mm-hmm. was a Jesuit, all-boys school in Milwaukee called Marquette High School. Right. And... Um, I mean, I had such a good experience there, mm-hmm. and there were such good teachers and such a good environment. Um, the Catholicism was a major part of the mission and the fabric of the school, but it was by no means forced upon you. I had friends who were Jewish, Protestant, Muslim. Yeah. yeah. Um, that being said, my close friend group, most of them were Catholic. Yeah. And um, we didn't. We, we had the option to go to Mass every week, or you could play cards and study. Um, and so I, or gamble. <laughs> Wait, your Catholic school gave you the option to go to mass every week. Yeah, well, really? Did they allow non-Catholic people in? Yeah, you could okay. go. So, so that there makes was a little more sense, but that's so, I, I've never heard of. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. So, so there were two kind of masses. There was an all-school mass, and there was um, weekly optional mass, which was every Thursday. Mm-hmm. All-school masses happened around. Major, major Catholic day holy day of obligation and sure. graduation and start of school, um, and there, there everyone went regardless of your religion. Uh-huh. From my recollection, at least I recall everyone being there. It's also possible people did not attend. Right, those were actually really fun services. Yeah, you have a thousand, well, eleven hundred, not rowdy, but there's a lot of male testosterone in the room. Sure, right, and was it an all male school? Yeah, yeah. So, I, are you familiar with the sign of peace? Peace uh, be with you and. Yeah, so what yeah. you do is you say, now offer each other the sign of peace, where you essentially go around and you shake hands, say peace with you, peace yeah, with you. Yeah, right, right. At my high school, it was like 25 minutes. <laughs> where you would literally like just go around hugging all your friends. Uh, and, I could and, and, that and, could be very uplifting. It was yeah. cool. And yeah. It was fun. And, yeah. and I remember being a freshman thinking, this is, this is some weird stuff. Like, mm-hmm. what is going on? But by senior year, I, I guess I drank the Kool-Aid of the school. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I we we have we do uh, Havdalah and that's the uh, ending of Shabbat ceremony. Yeah. And I used to go to summer camp and like we we would do the same thing. And now that you mention it, there was 
no rational reason for us to go around hugging everybody. But you did. But you did. Yeah, it was just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was, and I, like, I, right. There was no time dedicated to it, but it was just what you did at that point. So I guess it's a little right. different, but like, it it was a big 25, like, you had to make sure you hugged everybody kind of, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially at that age when kids can be so hostile to one another. I mean, I think that that's probably a really nice, different uh, attribute of your rearing. Um, I do want to turn back and focus something that you said that I thought was really interesting, that you said your faith really took off in high school. And uh, I think that's so interesting because I was talking to Amanda about this a little bit, that like when you reach a certain age, even if you went to church growing up, there is a point where you either kind of deviate from the church or like you find this more sophisticated conceptualization of why you want to be there right mm-hmm. I mean when you're when you're little kids you have like such a narrow bandwidth for the ideas of like truth and and like religion and uh, a lot of times you you t- interpret the Bible very literally and then you reach adolescence uh, teenager years and you're like okay there's just no way that some of these stories are true and I think that drives a lot of people away from the church, and sometimes they make their way back. Uh, what did faith mean to you when you first started really inculcating it in yourself, and then how has that changed over time? I mean, what what what's your definition of faith? Because that's a word we could play around with a lot and have no idea what we're talking about. Yeah, so I think, I'll, I'll try to answer your question, I apologize if I don't. No, it's okay. Um, I, me personally, I, I'm not an intellectual, I'm not saying I'm brilliant, but I love to learn. Yeah. And so if I'm in a place that's going to challenge me both intellectually, emotionally, and, and not even physically, but just on all facets, I'm going to be drawn to that. Yeah. One of the one of the real assets of Marquette was it was really challenging. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's much like law school where it's like an uber competitive environment, and, mm-hmm. and we did have religion classes. Right. And I was drawn to them because of how challenging they were. Right. Uh, freshman year, we had to take biblical literature. And now get this, my teacher's name was John St. Peter. Okay? Oh, wow. Uh, he was and he was like an unimpeachable John Wooden-type character. I mean, not, <laughs> not, not a backbone in his body. Sure. Yeah. And he knew the Bible better than anyone I've ever, I've ever known. Yeah. And we spent the first half of the year on the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he, he called it, if I recall correctly, the Jewish scripture. I, I, he had a name for it, not the Old Testament. Yeah. We just call it the Testament. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I was I was drawn to it because of how fascinating it was mm-hmm. because it challenged me both spiritually, intellectually, and emotionally, mm-hmm. and and that kind of also, continued. What do you mean? How did studying the Old Testament challenge you? Like that? Um, because Mr. Saint Peter challenged us to look at it from an intellectual point of view. Right. Um, so like, so are you familiar with the Q source theory of the New Testament? No. So I'll I'll describe it briefly. Uh-huh. Okay, please. So th- there are really there's this theory about where all of the information from the Gospels came from. Yeah. Okay, and I should really thank Mr. St. Peter for this, but John's off on John's off on or the, the Gospel of John's off on his own. He was preaching to the the more traditional Jewish faiths. Okay, mm-hmm. so his Gospel is totally different than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Mark, Matthew, and Luke, a lot of their material over, overlaps. Yep. Okay? Yeah. People think that Mark was the first. And people suggest that Mark was the physician of, of the, the, the Apostle Paul. Yeah. Okay? And that Matthew and Luke took their material from Mark. Okay. okay? Mr. St. Peter, this is just an example. He approached every book like this. Mm-hmm. Like, here's the source material. Here's where it came from. Here's why it was like this. 
here's why John's book is different. Here's why his material is different. Interesting. Right. So um, he he was preaching to the probably more skeptical audiences, or, or what? Like, how do you say that? Well, I think I think he was preaching, not even preaching, because he was in the seminary for three years before he found a different calling. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I think he was preaching us to for not to be skeptical, but but to look at it analytically and, mm-hmm. and to actually dissect what the words mean and why they mean that way. Right. So, like the underlying truth right. of the stories. You know, I mean, <clears throat> I think that that's. And I've I've read it. The it's been a while, um, but the Old Testament is so allegorical yeah. in its in its conveyance of of the gospel that I think it's it's such a hard thing to divorce the wisdom from the actual stories, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times skeptics get held down to this debate of facts, which is versus real truth. Which is yeah, exactly. Yeah. Facts versus truth. Yeah. Versus the metaphorical truth, you know, right. that if you live your life by the axioms that are underpinning the story, that it's going to be beneficial to you. Right. You're right. I, th- I think, I mean, Mr. St. Peter preached to us, and I, I believe this now, uh, you don't have to believe the facts of the story to believe that it's true. Exactly. In your life. Yeah, right. And, 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 and that's kind of what Marquette taught me. You don't have to believe, you don't, you don't have to believe everything we tell you, but we do want you to believe them to be true. We want you to figure it out for yourself. Right, um, right. Yeah. I'm, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm under the impression that, like, there... I, I don't think that there are, like, the absolute morals, absolute... Like, I don't think anything is 100% across the board always correct. But it's funny that you mentioned that because that's actually... What you're describing is uh, a pretty core tenet that goes into the... Uh, uh, I don't know, the culture of Judaism where every rabbi I've ever talked to, every religious person I've ever talked to, we basically say, if you don't believe something, investigate it. Yeah. It's okay to be skeptical of absolutely everything, including anything in the Bible. Look into it. Rationalize it. And then, yeah, there's also, like, when it comes to Noah and things like that, there are still moral things to that. You know, like... Uh, what he was the last moral person in I forget the city's name, but there was still an abject reason to save two of every animal. It wasn't just starting over. It, it, there, you know, not not all the there. That's that's kind of what goes into the universal truth. What I'm saying. Not everyone, not everything in this town was bad. No. So there, you know, there is that lesson from that, and whether or not you believe that he built an ark and took two of every animal and and then there was a big flood like that's it's not it's more of a to me it's more of like a uh, there's a lot of different morals that go into that story but some of them are um, some of the main ones to me are like there there's always an inherent good that you could find in, in everyone and everything there's always an inherent well you know I was about to say nuclear weapons but at the same time like we that has stopped nuclear war. The the more countries that have nuclear weapons, it hit, because you know that it's mutual destruction or mutual guaranteed destruction. They're like even that. So wait, I'm curious how that what, what is how does that point tie into the rest of it? it there's no absolute wrong rights and absolute wrongs. Oh like, yeah, yeah, there yeah, are yeah. There, like there there are absolute wrongs. There's always going to be 
it, with, there's always going to be at least one part of someone that you can find that's good. There's always going to be at least one person in a group that you can find is good. But would you say yeah. that there's absolute truths? Would you differentiate that between rights and wrongs? Uh, I've got friends that are... I have one friend that I lived with during 1L. Uh, he's a doctor, and, and I would talk to him about scientific law every once in a while. And I'd say, like, I'd be like, you know, the laws of gravity, there's, like, those are absolutes. And he's like, yeah, but they're absolutes until we find out that they're not. Right. I was like, oh, well, that actually... <laughs> Yeah, that makes sense. That's why every time you hear a scientist talk about something like global warming, they don't say with 100% certainty. They say overwhelming evidence states because there, like, there are no absolute. It, it could be proved wrong. Yeah. It 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 could be. It's just well, we don't know right now. So I so I think that this especially is interesting when you look at more of the doctrinal or like religious laws. Um, like the, the law against eating pork, and this is a point that I, I can't remember who makes it, but like the the law against eating pork was probably premised on the fact that hogs were inherently dirty animals that would often give you E. coli. They were. And it, yeah, exactly. So like it it's true in the sense that if you live your life by the doctrine of it's better to not eat pork, you're probably going to get ahead. You know, so like, I mean, that was... A truism before we ever understood microbiology, yeah. before we could ever look at anything under a microscope. So, I mean, there are, there are metaphorical truths contained, all, like same with alcohol. I mean, yeah. you probably, it was better for survival and better to live an honest life and a productive life uh, back before we understood why alcohol affected the brain and the body and all these things. So they're true in the sense that, like, if you live by them, you will be ahead than if you don't live by them, even if on a granular level they're not exactly true, right? So I think that, that that's how I view a lot of these religious texts, you know, in a way, is it's this sort of, what I was saying to Amanda, ancestral knowledge codified in a book that it's going to be, you're going to come out ahead if you live by it than if you don't, yeah. right? And I think that now we sort of live in a society that takes that for granted where these truths have been disseminated out of these religious texts and suddenly everybody thinks that it's like, oh, well, we're secular. You know, it's like, no, no, no. You're secular in the sense that you no longer go to church, but you're not secular in the sense that these morals have so proliferated society that you're still kind of living by the truth, um, even if you can't articulate them in a religious way. Yeah. Not, I, this will not be the first movie I ever quote on this podcast. Okay. But uh, one of my favorite lines in, well, not one of my favorite, but a very good line in Rudy uh, of course. Yeah. He goes to he goes to talk to the priest when he's trying to get into Notre Dame and all that, and he, and he says, you know, look, is there, uh, you know, I, I've prayed, I've done this, I've done this, uh, I've done everything I can. I, it, it, it should dictate that I get in. What, what or is there anything else I can do? And he says, and he basically says back to him, and I might be getting this timeline wrong in the movie but he basically says back to him I've come to two great conclusions in my life number one there is a God and number two I'm not him yeah and I'm just like <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a great lie like it's a you know it's a it's, it's, it's a perspective of like I want to do everything I can to help you I can't do everything to help you so you should the, yeah. stick to quoting Independence Day Okay. <laughs> Good morning. Yeah. Uh, All right. So let's let our guest talk a little bit more. Um, 
So <clears throat> it seems like we have a similar understanding of what faith means. I'm not particularly religious. I, I, I would not say that I identify with any religion at the moment, but I understand the importance of them and uh, how they've shaped our society. So, I mean, where do you stand now these days um, with faith and I guess even institutional faith uh, with the Catholic Church? Yeah, so that's something that I've struggled with because, you know, I I struggle with the with all of the stuff that's been going on, but I still get an immense amount of enjoyment and fulfillment out of my own personal journey. Yeah. Um, I, um, you know, I, I've read all the articles, as, as I'm sure you have, about all of the stuff going on with the Catholic Church. Right. But at the same time, I still go to church every week. I my challenge this year was to read the Bible cover to cover. I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> I don't like every good Catholic. Yeah. <laughs> we actually break it in, break it down by week, so you do cover the whole thing every week. So I, no, you I, don't. I don't know. We do. Yeah. So like, so you don't cover the whole thing every week. You cover the whole thing every year. So it is possible to read the Torah beginning to end Correct. in a year but I, yeah, I don't know what for, for Catholicism and, I, and yeah. I'm really going to be wrong on this there's like something like 40 prophets or some ridiculous amount of prophets it's too many it's too many I mean you have five I mean you got Genesis De- Leviticus Deuteronomy yeah. Numbers and Romans Exodus Exodus that, some would call that one the most important one yes uh. I was wrong um, but I try to recover to cover that's, that's and I still out. get an immense amount of enjoyment out of it mm-hmm. and in fact when, I, when Michaela and I went to Mass last week or two weeks ago the priest gave his homily about all the stuff going on in Pennsylvania. Really? And he, and he talked about um, how horrible it was and how these, like, this, this is never okay under any circumstances. Right. And there's no excuses. The church needs them. Good. Uh, Sorry, technical difficulties, audience. Yeah. <clears throat> so... I think we're still a little bit too hot on the heels of the most recent stories to, to know exactly what the Catholic Church's response to this is going to be, but I can't help but feel like um, the loyalty has so often lied in uh, protecting the institution rather than protecting protecting the constitu- constituent parts yeah. of the institution. Um, and that, to me, is a real problem. Oh, it's a... It's a- it's a dangerous problem. Right, right. Um, and I don't I don't know how you fix it. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I think the easy thing is don't do it. But, right, right. But, I mean, the Catholic Church is 2,000-some-odd years old, mm-hmm. and they've been doing, not the same thing, but it's it's steeped in history and tradition, and when you're trying to break tradition, it's going to take some time. The, the tradition being here, the abuse of children, or? I think, I think the tradition of being shrouded in mystery. I, th- right. I think part of the allure of the Catholic church is like we have i mean dan brown's made like a boatload of money off of it off right of all of these alleged secrets exactly of, of yep. the church right i mean even even how it, it stands in stark contrast to our electoral system but we don't know we we know how the voting is done in mm-hmm. Vatican, mm-hmm. but it's private we don't know the discussions we don't know the debate that happens there's right. a cloak of secrecy over it and i think there's right. there's an allure to the faithful, and I think there's an allure to the world for that. Right. Well, I mean, it does kind of uh, hearken an image of hidden knowledge, right? And that there's the... Uh, That's how judges decide cases, though. I'm sorry? That's how, like, Supreme Courts decide cases, too. Is? 
they go conference in the back and nobody's allowed in there. Yeah, well, then the papers are released in national. That's true. But uh, <clears throat> I think that, like, the specter of, like, you need the Catholic Church because there is this shroud of mystery, right? Like, it's there's something that they have to offer something above and beyond just religious teachings, right? Because those are readily available to anybody. But uh, I think the interpretation and uh, the, the kind of veil of secrecy, I would agree it's alluring and it's attractive. I mean, I, I can't speak to what, it's, uh, what it offers other people, but what it's offered me is community. Uh-huh. I mm-hmm. mean, growing up, we sat in the same pew every week. Right. My, like I said, my mom was in bell choir. My dad was uh, an usher in the sacristan. The sacristan is someone who gets everything ready for the next mass. Mm-hmm. Um, so he would stay between 8.30 and 11 o'clock mass and get it ready. Um, it's offered me a community um, through high school, college, and even partially in law school, you know, um, being in a Jesuit institution. Yeah. Um, Did that affect your decision to come to come to Loyola? Partially, yeah. So I, I toured, as I'm sure everyone did, a bunch of law schools in Chicago and all over the United States. You, sir, would be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> One and done? One and done. Did you apply other places? I did, yeah. yeah. I, I won't humble brag on the show, but... yeah. Uh, so I, so I toured a bunch of places, and I would walk in, and, and I kind of knew what I wanted by the time I got to Loyola, because it was like my second to last stop. And I walked in, and I just knew. Mm-hmm. I just knew this was the place for me, regardless of the money being offered or right. the whatever. It just felt right. And, and I had a conversation, I think, with Father Jerry about this. Um, uh, and I said, you know, I call me crazy, but I think it has something to do with the Jesuits, because I went to a Jesuit, university, Jesuit high school. Mm-hmm. And it, it just, for me, it feels different. Right. Because I have been in a Jesuit high school, and there's, there's, something, there's something different about the educational experience. Sure. Than, than what I've experienced at a diocesan church and then a public university. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even really know the differences in Jesuit and just, I guess, I would call it plain Catholic. So that's it. So, yeah. So I can try to explain this, and I'm going to do a, a yeah. poor job, consult the theologian. Yeah. Um, think of... Uh, Christianity as an umbrella uh-huh. and under the umbrella there is Catholicism yeah. Lutheranism Protestantism Evangelical you know yeah. all of those okay Je- all Jesuits are Catholic but not all Catholics are Jesuits yeah okay what, eight, eight, I'm sorry what uh, right um, good, can, can, so each each order has a mission that they get from the Pope okay the Jesuits order or their mission is to educate that's why there's so many Jesuit universities. Oh, okay. That would make sense. Okay. The Dominicans, for example, and I don't ask me why I know this. The Dominicans' purpose was to fight heresy. Okay. Okay. Um, the the Marists. Have you heard of a Marist school? No. There there are very few. It's the, it's the Society of Marists, a relatively new order. Um, my understanding is that their job is to um, is to honor Mary. And they do that through a variety of ways, and the same is through the same is true of sisterhoods, um, like the the Sisters of Mercy, uh, Mother Teresa's order. They they serve the poor. Okay. So so the Jesuits, their mission is to serve, um, is, is, children. is, is to serve children and education. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> interestingly enough, our Pope is Catholic now, which is which is the point of some consternation. He's, he's, he's a, a Jesuit. He's a Jesuit. Jesuit. Yeah. Jesuit excuse me. They're always Catholic. That's my fault. It's like, it's like a thing. And he's the first yeah. Jesuit, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Yeah. So and um, so that, in a, probably a lot of ways, has influenced his 
progressive tendencies and yeah because the jesuits are considered and i don't know why i've just been told this they're considered of the more liberal catholics right right because they because they are teaching and they want students to have an open mind not tell them what to do and i think i would hope that that has influenced pope francis's way of thinking um yeah i mean in terms of uh the protection of children i think he's kind of uh dropping the ball on that at the moment with his silence on this whole issue. Um, well, didn't he come out in Ireland and say it's, and I, I haven't, I don't have the exact statement in front of me, didn't he come out and say it's awful, it's horrible, we need to do better? He did say that about the child sex abuse. I think you're uh, uh, also, you're talking about the McCarrick thing, the the Archbishop and Cardinal, I think. How he lifted the sanctions. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that was a, that's a different, those are separate issues. So I'm not familiar with that. I mean, they're that. both bad. Okay. They're, yeah, they were, uh, it was, so there's a, uh, uh, and sorry if I'm getting the lingo wrong, I believe Cardinal, uh, he had been sanctioned by Benedict to uh, removal from performing in public, so removal from Mass, he wasn't allowed to, and he, I, I think, had to, like, go into a life of basically silence and repent for his sins because he was accused of uh, um, using his position position yeah to, to sleep with seminarians seminarians and uh, no, it's not yeah. great no and it's also not yeah and, and I think it's not a great look yeah, yeah. and uh, <clears throat> um, yeah we were talk- we talked about this a little uh, with Amanda about how like it, it does kind of tie into the whole me too thing but when Francis got in uh so McCarrick was always a public figure. I think he was Archbishop of Washington, D.C. for a while. Uh, and he was the ambassador to Washington, D.C. Like a, yeah. The apostate New York. Oh, that was Fignano, but I could Yeah. 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 So he was, was he the apostate Nuncio? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Nuncio, yeah. Um, and then the guy, uh, so another ex-Nuncio, was the one that he, he wrote. He basically wrote the scathing letter. And uh, it's a, an 11-page really uh, accusation of uh, Francis knew about it um, because I think he said he told him about it and uh, Benedict knew about it because he removed him from public life Right. and Francis basically uh, reinstated him and allowed him to begin to uh, be in public view again and to travel around to uh, uh, preach and what and perform sacramental duties and things like that and uh, um, then the story a story broke I think in the Washington Post back in June so Francis reinstated the sanctions well I don't think anyone knew that the sanctions had been reinstated they just knew that he was imposing sanctions nobody knew about the, how the previous time and so when he pulled sanctions down he uh, or when he yeah when he Anyway, let me. Um, I'm going on too long. But it <laughs> Don't was, think I bogged yeah, down in the it facts. Was, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it was a lot. He, he, it was clear that he, uh, he was using McCarrick for because it was good in public, good in camera, and whatever. And, and it was about the, but the, the review has or the uh, accusation has gotten a lot of criticism because it came like a week after. This Pennsylvania uh, this story. Pennsylvania He's story. trying to walk it back. No, not trying to walk it back. It came a week after this Pennsylvania story, and he um, 
and, and it's and the. Uh, I'll just summarize, okay? Yeah, they're viewed side by side. The Pennsylvania grand jury indictment, and then this letter that came out uh, accusing Pope Francis of lifting sanctions on a sex offender is a bad look, right? Yeah. Because basically, it implies Good job. That's what I was. Yeah. It, it implies that Francis knew of some of this abuse, even if it wasn't specifically about the Pennsylvania diocese, and was took a very hands-off, laissez-faire approach to all of it. And then, on top of that, he remained silent for, like you say he made a statement in Ireland, uh, but he was, he's been pretty quiet about it, and for a guy who um, has been lauded by the media a lot because of his progressive views on homosexuality and uh, climate change, it doesn't seem like the media is really coming down on hard, as hard as they could be on him, it you know, be. as yeah. they should be, right? I mean, what do, you, what, what do you think about that? I Real quick, I just want to throw this in. There was one piece I missed, and it was so they're saying Vagano was uh, that it was like an attack because he saw an open door with it when this Pennsylvania grand jury uh, indictment came out. He saw an open door, and he it was basically kicking Waller down. Yeah, and right. so they were using that to discredit him. Now Francis refuses to comment on what Vagano said. Right now, I saw some credibility to. The whole this seems like an opportunistic moment to hit Francis, but the fact that he's remained silent really tells it, it, it's it's making it making the eleven page indictment more each uh, passing day. Yeah, right. So that's that was sorry. That yeah. I just wanted to get that. So out. I struggle with stuff like that part because of I guess all of our now legal background right. of our even when I even when there's accusations for our. President of the United States or whatever, I, I try to caution myself not not to rush to judgment until all the facts are out. Right. Fair. And even with Penn State, I tried to this was six years ago or whatever. I tried to I tried to remain calm and just be like, let's just wait till the investigation comes out. That's always my approach too, yeah. I read the, the, the thing cover to cover. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the problem with that is when there's such public fervor for you to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know what the approach is. I do know that staying silent isn't the right approach. Correct. You got to come out and at least say, "Look, <clears throat> we hear what you're saying. We want to do this right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll we'll check in in two weeks or whatever it is and release a preliminary report." Right. Because the Catholic Church is 1.2 billion people with a lot of money. They can find an investigator to right. get a report out at least preliminarily within two weeks. Right. Pay them overtime. I think the largest real estate owner in the world, too. Catholic I think Church? I, yeah, I think I heard that somewhere. It surprise me. Yeah, yeah right. Um, what what leaves a sour taste in my mouth about this whole thing is that uh, they, like, you can make some inferences, and maybe they're not justified, about his silence because the media is so favorable towards him. I mean, he is the, he's been the, he is the Pope that they've been waiting for, really, in a lot of ways. And his silence almost seems like a sit back and let's see what happens because I might not have to say the thing. The media might go out there and fight my battles for me and to a degree he's been correct because this guy who wrote the 11 page letter, Vagano, uh, Archbishop Vagano, uh, they've been like labeling him a homophobe and like, you know, a ultra conservative Catholic and all this thing. So that they politicized it in a way that is beneficial towards him. And you know, why would he go out there and make a public statement if 
the media is just going to fill in the blanks for him. And I, I don't know. I, I mean, on one hand, it's sh- definitely shirking his duties. I mean, he has a duty to uh, reaffirm the church's stance on things and provide a little hope for his ardent followers. Uh, I, I just, I, this is becoming so much uglier than it needs to because the church, it, I mean, it's child molestation, right? There's only one right answer in response to it, and the church should have no problem coming out and saying it. I'm not disagreeing with yeah. you. Yeah, okay. I, I want to make it clear, though, again, the one he's being silent on is not the child molestation. It's the mechanic. It's the it's the seminary. Okay, but he, yeah, but he made a wait one statement about the child molestation, right? I haven't. I don't get Google updates on that. I don't. I get yeah. CNN updates yeah. all the time. Wall Street Journal. Uh, I haven't seen one. So I, I I'm not disagreeing with you. Gotcha. Okay? You yep. can't. You you have to say something. You can't stay silent. Like right. I said, just pull an Ohio State. Say we hear what you're saying. We're going to investigate it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they may do a a half ass investigation, but they're. You know, they right. still do something. Right. Um, that being said, I, I still, I don't know, I don't know what St. Francis's duty in all this is. But And I, 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 I hearken back to, you remember Ken Bone? Yeah. The, yeah. So you remember he was like a political sensation. Right, yeah. He looked into his Reddit, and then things got a little creepy. Yeah, he was writing about Jennifer Lawrence and all yeah, this. Yeah, so, some not, some sexualized things. Yeah, right, right. The, the media did its job and maybe too good of a job in uncovering that stuff. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't think this is going to win. I don't think they're giving Francis a pass, nor should they. Right. I think the faithful are giving Francis a pass more than the media. Is, and so is that good or bad in your opinion? Because that's an interesting point. I think we need. To, I think everyone needs to have a healthy skepticism in all of our leaders. But at the end of the day, I do think that we want to believe that they're doing the right thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and I, I think in this <clears throat> case, we want to believe that our Pope, that the Pope is doing the just and noble thing, maybe to a fault. Right. I mean, so how much of this comes down to just loyalty to an institution, you know? Um, I mean, because uh, we can draw a lot of, again, analogies between politics and this at the moment, uh, like how a bunch of spineless Republicans in Congress are staying loyal to their institution of the GOP in the face of some very distasteful things that Trump does. Concerning. Concerning things that Trump is doing, and and a lot of them are just becoming sycophants to him. And, you know, I generally lean more conservative, but I'm I'm no fan of Trump, right? So, but, like, blind loyalty to any institution is a really dangerous... uh, it's a dangerous venture, and it's going to walk you down a primrose path. So, uh, but, you have, I mean, but again, you have to separate separate blind loyalty to the institution and loyalty to your faith. And, right. And, I, and we can separate them, but at the end of the day, oftentimes you can't mm-hmm. because so much of the of the Catholic of of what Catholics believe, at least um, from a thirty thousand foot view, are tied hand in hand with what the church does, what right. the church has taught you. Right. Right. So, like. For example, you know, Vatican II happened 50 years ago. That was at the behest of, I think, Pope Paul VI. I don't, I don't recall the, the exact pope. Mm-hmm. That completely mo- modernized, I'm putting that in air quotes, the church. Yeah. So the church, the mass as we know it today, is in relation to something Vatican did. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can separate them as much as you want to. So right. even 
even if you disagree with what the Pope or the Cardinals or the Papal Palace is doing, mm-hmm. so much of at least, I want to say my faith, but I, I would believe that a lot of someone's faith is tied to the institution. Right. So you can't separate that. Right. Um, this is a question I put to Amanda, and I'll put it to you as well. Is there something that the Catholic Church could do or some kind of inaction in response to all of this that would cause you to perhaps teeter on whether or not the Roman Catholic Church is the right vehicle for your faith? Are you Roman Catholic? I am Roman Catholic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember you said Catholic. I didn't hear Roman. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that. Right. No, it's a tough question. It. I think it's not supposed to be a gotcha question. I think. Either. I think there's a. I think there are things that the Catholic Church can do that will that will invigorate people. For example, and I only know this because I'm I'm from Milwaukee. Um, they have a list of all the priests who have offended on there with 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 like a history of what they did. Mm. You can actually go on to the Archdiocese of Milwaukee website wow. and say, here are all of, here are all the priests that we know of, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would go a long way of, tra- of showing transparency. Yeah, disclosure. So, yeah. Uh, it was a big scandal in Milwaukee in early 2000s. Uh, it, it, it came to light in the early 2000s, yeah. but it, I mean, I'm sure it's no different than any other yeah. uh, diocese where it was going on for right, like right. 50 years. They yeah. cleaned house in the early 2000s. Basically. Well, no, they didn't actually. They did. So, okay. So, there's just a little bit of a history lesson only because I'm from there and I kind of live Please. there. So, um, there was a priest, I don't recall his name, I only know it's because he's on the site, uh, who was accused of doing some pretty nasty things to a bunch of kids in the 60s and 70s. The archbishop sent him home, okay, like to live with his mom in Boulder Junction, Wisconsin. Um, and through successive bishops it kind of got hidden and, and you know and then he was eventually defrocked which means you're no longer a priest it's like disbarred I think <clears throat> be a Basically, sure yeah in early 2000s all of this came to light and at that point we had gotten a new bishop, uh, archbishop and our new archbishop was Timothy Dolan who is now the cardinal of New York mm-hmm. and you, there was an argument to be made that archbishop Dolan was capable which means he could be the next pope. Um, there are records that were released through because the archdiocese filed for bankruptcy that Archbishop Dolan allegedly was trying to move money around to avoid it being subject to the lawsuit. Okay. He was putting it in a retirement and the cemetery fund, $57 million. Healthy little nest. Uh, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what cemetery they're going to. I, I need to visit it. They're all marble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but since then, I mean... What was the fit weight? It was... What was it going towards exactly? It was like... He was just trying to hide it and shield it from the bankruptcy. Yeah, he was, he was trying to move it from the trust to shield it from the, the losses in the bankruptcy. Right, right. right. And, and I don't know, the, I, I could have sworn it was like a cemetery fund or something like that. It was like a healthy living fund or something like... Those are polar opposites. Do, do you have to pay for your funeral spot? And like for your funeral, what, what do you call them? The, for your, your yes, burial plot? Yes, plot, your plot, burial plot. So, but this, yeah, then that's hard to explain. But yeah, but I mean, I, I, I if I recall correctly, the Catholic, the, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee said, you know, this was a move we were doing to be fiscally responsible, and a lot of people didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. Why are you transferring $57 million on, on the heels of a bankruptcy when you're settling millions of dollars of claims uh-huh. for 
abuse, neglect, and all sorts of horrible things. Mm. Um, Archbishop Dolan left, or he was appointed the Cardinal of, not the Cardinal, the Archbishop of New York in like 2010 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only in the past two years that this, this whole case wrapped up in Milwaukee, and I think they settled like $47 million or something something ridiculous. Uh-huh. A good ridiculous, not a bad. Yeah. Right, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, so it's it's not cleaning house in the sense that you just shuffle them around, right? You just no. move, move them place to place. You move them place to place. You right. here, maybe you'll do good here. Yeah, yeah. and right. I, mean, I think if I recall correctly, and I can try to pull it up um, while we're talking. Sure. Um, if I recall correctly, like there's records of this guy moving like 22 parishes in the span of, you know. A lot of a, that, yeah, a lot of that, that kind of maneuvering came out in uh, with yeah. Spotlight. Yeah. yeah. So I'm pulling it up now. Um, I mean, why even do this? Is there a lack of... Do what? I yeah. mean, just shuffle guys around. There, there's no pipeline? I mean, the, are people not going into I think seminary I think, school or what? I think fiscal irresponsibility. So uh, the, it, the shuffling them around is a little less reprehensible than what they were doing. I'll give this to you. So this is a list yeah. of clergy offenders, and uh, you can click on each one of them and then read what happened. Mm-hmm. This was part of the reorganization. I think the reason they shovel them around is they hope that it's going to go away and that the problems get getting keep getting swept under the rug. It's no different than maybe a child who's struggling to behave in school where you keep transferring school in the hopes that they get it together. Yeah, but I mean, the child is not committing heinous acts. You know, I mean, that's the difference, right? I mean, my my some do. Like, you know, the military schools and those kinds of things, that's like, uh, that's why they send them there. That's, it's, it, but they're not committing in the same... Yeah, I agree with you, but I think there's the more to your point is that, like they're not mentally mature enough to understand total ramifications of their actions. Is that what you're? Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, my point was going to be that I mean, if this was run like a private corporation, and you found somebody doing similar. Uh, infractions inside your corporation, you just fire that guy. But I mean, if it is a corporation, right? You can do a cost-benefit analysis of the okay. How much is this going to cost us mm-hmm. if we come public with this? Right, five hundred thousand dollars or so whatever it is. I, I just counted. There were forty-seven priests in the on that website, mm. and which is probably low. I mean, yeah. I have no doubt that it's low. But I think you can do a cost-benefit analysis of saying, let's just say this priest has some. Indiscretions. If we go public with this, it's going to cost us a million dollars to settle. Or we can shuffle it around for 30 years mm-hmm. and hope to God it goes away. It's no right. different than, I think, GM, right. one of those companies yeah. Yeah. who knew that there was a problem with right. the start. I, I, I'm you're just playing a very big shell game. You're playing, uh, you're, you're playing a shell game. <clears throat> well, there was a problem with the what? So oh, with the starters and all that? I don't recall the exact thing, but they knew there was a problem. Yeah. And it would have cost like $50 million to repair it. Or, or they could people die and they pay yeah, forty million dollars. Yeah. So they rolled the dice, let people die, and they saved ten million dollars. I'm just going to yeah, but oh. it does sound a little. That's a little different because you, what you're talking about, it, and it's they're both evils, but one has to do with, uh, uh, I guess. I guess they're not all that different, but it's still the Catholic. It's church. still child molestation. You're, you're, yeah. They do the the schools and all that, where they try to, I guess, rehab them. But the uh, 
you're, you're still shuffling around child, you're shuffling around and helping cover up child molesters for uh, because you might have you know financially I don't know but like you might have a a, a, a shortage of priests what's the I don't understand here so uh, let's just say from the start again I agree with you yeah okay for the sake of argument we we, we just had the discussion that the church is one of the largest landlords in the in the yeah. world I mean if that's not an insti- the largest, yeah. if that's not an institution that's very powerful that's going to want to keep the status quo Mm-hmm. I don't know what is. Yeah, I mean they they, they have a, a moral, I think, a higher calling to do the right thing. But from an institutional standpoint, at least like from a cost benefit analysis, I think we all can agree that at least that there there is some value to trying to cover it up. Right. And I'm not saying it's right. Right. But I, it just strikes me that putting a uh, ill-suited priest. And taking him from one place and putting him to a different place is kind of a bad way to cover it up rather than just well, I agree. making I mean, him go out yeah. in the shroud at night and say, like, you don't ever turn your back and, like, come just back keep here. Walking. Yeah, just right, keep, keep walking. Yeah, keep walking until back. you hit the county line. Yeah. I just want to read the web address and for this. And once you hit the county line, keep walking Real quick, it's, yeah. it's archmill, that's A-R-C-H-M-I-L dot org, and they do have a list of all their offenders. And I really think that it should almost be mandatory that each different diocese has a, a similar website. I mean, and I don't, I don't know if that's the, the standard across dioceses. I, I doubt it is. I, I just mean, know. I feel like we would have heard more about it. Yeah, I, um, I know that I, I, I read it. Maybe more of a curiosity. Uh-huh. It's my diocese. Yeah, sure. Um, but I like, I feel like I needed a shower after. Yeah. It's like grotesque, right, right, awful, yeah. terrible right. things that. I get that. Um, but you know, like I said, I don't know. I certainly think there's some value, not moral value, to covering it up. But I do think there's a monetary value that I think the church recognized. Right. right. And maybe even Francis recognized yeah. that if I if I hold my cards close to my chest, this yeah. is going to go away and it's going to hurt less publicly. Mm. If I say something now. I don't know. Right. Not but I, I mean, it just makes me think of, like... Bear Stearns, you know, like they they did a similar strategy and then it ended up crippling the economy. I just like if you really care about your institution and its teachings, then you have to keep it healthy, right? You got to cut the cancer out. You got, you know, uh, and I think people want to forgive the church. Yeah, for I was totally agree. I, I think people are ready to give, like, to forgive them and move on. And I think because it's so important and it's so integral, so long as it stops. But right, but, but you yeah. can't. I mean, like, and. I'm not a marriage counselor, but you can't forgive until all the dirty business is out of the closet. Yeah, we don't even know how deep this goes. Oh God! Yeah, you also. I'm sorry, but I'm really. It's really bothering me that the the. Uh, uh, okay, Bear Stearns acted irresponsibly. Sure, GM the cost benefit analysis. Sure, but there are. Companies that have higher moral principles that take a hit in the short term. Sure. There's they buy insurance on these sorts of things, and and hope and try to recover. And a lot of them do hope and try to recover in the long term. And if the idea is that we're trying to keep the, our iron fist on the power, you can you know you sell a few of the buildings to. Help heal, help go towards 
therapy for the kids that were abused, get the kids out, give better reasons to go into the seminary, wipe the stench off. You, you, uh, if we're talking about a quick, uh, a good fix, I don't accept just shuffling them around. I, I would rather have the, yeah, walk towards the ocean and, and when you hit water, walk until you can't breathe anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I, uh, I don't know. I, we're both in the child law right, uh, clinic right now. I, I, we're both pretty, I feel like you have to be kind of passionate about that subject in order to. Yeah. And so it's, it's one of my things where I'm like, I, I just, I can't accept that they just shuffled it around because they thought if we could shut this up, it'll be better. Because all that says to me is it is a moral uh, Im- imperative one to do something and don't just sh- shuffle them around. And even if you say, you know, go to the, they sent them to these therapy sessions and then tried to cure them of whatever, they clearly saw that those weren't working. Mm, Because they, you know, they 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 sent that priest home. Yeah, yeah. Some of them got sent to them multiple times. Mm. So, uh, um, I don't understand how you can, uh, and by you I mean the church, how how just shuffling around is any kind of moral decision on behalf of that. And you're, and if you're well, it's going, not, it's not a moral decision. Yeah, it's not a moral decision. Right, but if you're going to be uh, a, a uh, someone's bedrock of morality, you cannot make moves like that. And if you make moves like that, you have to come out. For, there's look, it, this happened with the Boston Globe. This should have all. There should not have been a Pennsylvania grand jury investigation. This should, there should have been an internal investigation with Catholics across the board, and then it, it should. Have, if you want to handle it internally, handle it internally, but you better be ready to make statements to the public. But it should have been 20, 15 years later that we hear another one of these stories. In this, uh, I would almost. I don't. This is going to sound a little off topic and a little random, but like, it's also with the Me Too movement. It did not take a Harvey Weinstein. We had Bill Cosby a year earlier. <clears throat> there's no reason that that should have been a launching point. But I think I think so, there's I think there's a blind ignorance, or maybe you people want to believe that their actions were somehow different than the other person's. And I I hope and pray that like that this that that's not applicable to me. But I think people sorry. like Harvey Weinstein yeah. didn't think what they did was wrong, or they were completely unaware that it could be a problem. <coughs> I, it's hard for me to imagine that when Harvey Weinstein saw this Bill Cosby stuff, he was shivering, right, shaking in his boots. Yeah, right. Yeah, he thought I'm pa- more powerful than that guy. Or, or he's more powerful. Or somehow what I did was different. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, self reflection is an incredibly difficult. Thing. Or, or, or self self reflection and and self flagellation. Well, in, and and, uh, and even accepting that what you did is the same thing. Right. That, right, that right. you have a problem or that you did something wrong just as much as... We like to think we're the most unique creatures right. out there. And we're not. Right. So... Well, yeah. I don't... It does not surprise me at all that Pennsylvania happened. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Because for whatever reason, and, and even this, the Milwaukee stuff started happening in the early 2000s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it took 15 years to clean up. Clean up. Yeah, I don't. Well, we don't know if it is. He, he, just for everybody listening, he shot an air quote clean up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, it doesn't surprise me at all because I'm sure either the powers that be thought that they were somehow different or they had somehow handled it better. Right, right. No, well, I, I while think not, it, while not acknowledging the underlying moral truth of that, this is really wrong. Right, and they're, that they're the only moral high ground is 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 doing what you preach. Right, and honoring and respecting and helping and professing your own sin and, pro- and professing your own truth and your own sin. Yeah, right. Which, right. which, and I've read the report. And I won't. They clearly did not. Do. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, uh, I, yeah, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to bring this back to Trump, but I do want to ask both of you a related question. Okay. First, uh, and here's how I'll frame it. Um, you're, you say you're uh, pretty libertarian conservative, right? I would say I'm a libertarian who leads conservative. Okay. Trump doesn't change your beliefs. You just see him as a bad actor. Just because Trump is the head of, is the president right now and is a Republican, it does not. You don't feel any need to change how you view political issues, how you view mor- mor- uh, moral issues. It's actually like a you know that's anyway. That's uh, what I ask. Well, you know, just because Trump is the head of the Republican Party and is a self-proclaimed conservative doesn't make it so. I mean, North Korea says it's a democratic republic, and they aren't. So you can call yourself whatever you want. My beliefs haven't shifted at all. And in fact, I think, if anything, Trump is bastardizing beliefs that I care about because he's giving a false moniker to a lot of things that just don't align with what I believe, which is why I didn't vote for him. Right. So I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, just because Trump is the head of Republic, even on things you agree with him on, just because Trump is the head of the Republican Party, and just because he is a calls himself a quote conservative, with things like trying to reduce federal spending, you're not going to just say let's raise federal spending just because Trump is a bad actor in office. My philosophy is always Trump a la carte. The thing that Trump does today is no indication of whether or not I'm going to like the thing he does tomorrow. Right, right. but, but, but what I'm saying I, is, I, I would know. never know. I'm not for suddenly raising the national yeah. debt. You know, it's not going to change your views. It's not. No. Okay, so the reason I said that is, I can imagine that there's a lot of Catholics out there that are having a crisis of faith, and uh, uh, even more so, the victims uh, a. Uh, not only a crisis of faith, but a, uh, uh, a, I guess, you know, it, it, you hear about stories after the Holocaust, of, and I don't want to quote, they're both horrific, but they're both very separate issues of uh, how they lost their religion because of it. They lost their faith in God. They didn't, they know they were, they became atheists because of it. They lost their moral compass because of it. How could something so evil happen? So when it comes to things like this, I, I guess, uh, like Jake with Trump, even though the, these two things are so polar uh, uh, opposite, not even polar, they're not even on the same scale, but has it caused you to question your faith in God, in Jesus? Has it caused you to question your faith in uh, Catholicism? Uh 
That's uh, as a whole. No. If, in a short answer, no. Mm-hmm. Um, because for me, I've always been more tied to the community that I that I go to yeah. than the institution itself. And the, and the, than the institution itself, which is why I think there's been a lot of crisis of faith because they're so tied to the institution uh-huh. and that they can't separate them. For me, my community, and I had a great experience growing up in my church. I had such a great experience that my religious background was always tied to St. Eugene's rather than the Catholic Church. Now, St. Eugene's, maybe in my own head, was a reflection of what the Catholic Church should be, or at least that maybe that was, it was, sure. I was a kid, you know, I don't live in one church. But um, it was, no, I mean, in fact, if anything, I think my appreciation for what the Catholic Church has to offer has grown um, in recent years, in part because of my own self-reflection uh-huh. and journey rather than the church's. Okay. <clears throat> well, if you don't mind, Richard, I would like to bring it back to some of the positive influences that I think the Catholic Church has had, at least on Nick. Like, So you went to Jesuit high school, That's and then right. now you're back in a Jesuit institution. Um, I know that you work closely with my girlfriend in the Sufio program. Yes. Has the Jesuit tradition that you've been kind of ensconced in uh, informed at all, like your... Uh, kind of social mission and yeah no doubt okay Indeed. so maybe and also in, explain the Sufio program for people sure. that don't know sure so from the start in high school we had to do service hours every year mm-hmm. they were mandatory right and as a senior we we did this thing called senior shared life which was a two-week program mm-hmm. where we didn't go to school all we did was work in the community now going into this I was like sweet this is awesome it's a two-week break yeah right. I'm just gonna kick it you know, go to work and go home. Uh-huh. I remember after the first day I worked in an inner city school in Milwaukee, um, I was exhausted. I was gassed emotionally, physically, and mentally. I bet. And that was every day. And that was actually a graduation requirement. Uh-huh. And um, and I don't think it's I don't think it's any coincidence that that was my first introduction to working with children, mm-hmm. where I eventually worked in a school just a mere mile away for. Um, for a full year in a uh-huh. core, and then I joined the Child Law Program, and then I was involved with Sufio, which is an organization that advocates for suspended and expelled students, um, where we will help them go through the suspension process and advocate for them. Right, and usually they are not from a place of financial means. No. And, right, no, so. almost, almost exclusively they're poor, right. uh, or they don't have a lot of money. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's any, I don't think it's any coincidence that that I continue to work with children when Marquette was the first place that I did that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, it, and it grew from there. Because it was such a powerful experience. It was fun. Right. It was challenging. And right. And definitely your faith has informed a lot of that, probably, you would say. Or, I mean, it's a good thing to do even if you are not a person of faith. But it does seem to kind of coincide with your experience with Jesuits at well, least. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't... When I was... This would be totally inappropriate. When I, when I was in the middle school for AmeriCorps... I never sat down with my kids and prayed, right? But I did talk to them about right and wrong, right? About yeah. my values, uh-huh. which very closely mirrored what I was taught. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of the teaching techniques that I used were from my high school, sure, which was Jesuit. Sure. Yeah. So, right. so I, I think all of them have Catholic roots. I won't, I won't give Catholics all the credit. I think, I right. think more right. of them were, were the people that I was with. Mm-hmm. But, um, like I said, I, I think. So much of what I have done, at least as I reflect on it, is in part because 
of what I experienced in the Catholic tradition and right. what I saw my parents do and how generous they were they were with, with their time and right. all of that. I brought that up because I don't want to end this on a dismal note about the Catholic Church, uh, you know, across the board, because uh, I'll tell you, I mean... Uh, the no argument. Uh, there are inherent goods that have come from two people from the Catholic Church. That's the reason why there's 1.2 billion of them in the world. Yeah, I mean, and uh, when I first toured Loyola, I mean, similar to you, it was like, oh, I'm going to click in this place, yeah. you know, because the quality of people that come through these doors, professors alike, uh, it's unmatched in a lot of other uh, facets of my life. I mean, you don't get to pick people of this of this caliber uh, to work with or to, uh, you know, be from your hometown. But it, it is a great place uh, with a strong social fabric, and I think that that social fabric extends out into the broader Chicago community through programs like Sufio and yeah. and other things, you know. So uh, I, I don't want to just sit here and bash the Catholic Church. It's got problems, right? No doubt. But uh, no, I think you should be critical of it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. If, if it holds it, if it holds itself up, right, as the bastion of virtue, and I'm not saying it does, then it should be held to that standard. And right. It should, be, it should be held accountable, much right. like Urban Meyer holds himself up to be all that is good at Ohio State. He, let's hold him to that standard, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and if, if he if he is what he preaches, right, yeah, we um, actually should be punished for that, right? We actually and, knew he wasn't what he preached in Florida, and then he said he had this like reckoning. Yeah, he got headaches. Yeah. And he didn't have Tim Tebow anymore. Yeah, anyway, <laughs> that was a second chance. But like, yeah, I actually I think a better example of that is Joe Paterno. Yeah, that yeah. he was held to that he he did. Uh, hold his players to higher account. He did mm-hmm. say, this is the Penn State way, this is the, all that. And then and what's the truly, scandal. What's yeah. truly unfortunate is that for a lot of players, he was that. Yeah. He yeah. was that outstanding right. Right. mentor and coach and leader. Right. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. he failed a lot of kids who needed him. Right. And right. and I think, I, I think, you know, I, I think like Mr. Rogers is more the exception than the rule of the people who have been unimpeachable over time. Right. And, you know, there's there's a danger when you hold yourself to that high of a standard, mm-hmm. when you are put in those types of situations where you can fall. Right. I think that there is something to be said, though. You bring up Mr. Rogers, something to be said about, I don't think he held himself to those standards. No, he didn't. People I don't, gave yeah, him those standards. People gave him those standards, as opposed to, that's a good point. Je- Urban Meyer and Joe Paterno, who held themselves and preached and said that they were these, right? You know, we did it the right way. Well, you know, let's see it then. Yeah, there's right. they, like uh, uh, but <laughs> Nick Saban sa- says that he will give players a second chance. He is a firm believer in giving players second chances when they've screwed up at other schools. There have been players that, it, and he says nine out of ten times. They'll come to Alabama, he gives them a second chance, and they're so thankful for the second chance that nothing bad happens. And then there are times where another incident will occur, and he'll kick them off the team. And they'll, the press will ask him about it, and he'll say, I will not apologize for giving him a second chance. I will apologize that he failed, but I get, there's nothing wrong with giving it. You know. So, yeah, there is redemption possible in the Catholic Church. I think there's a lot of work to do. Uh, I, I think they need 
complete and utter transparency I agree. To, to the extent of the law. I right. think I think much like the, the priest that I go to, at least attend, I think you need to have, um, you know, almost literally having the priest preaching from the pulpit mm-hmm. and, yeah. just, and just saying this is bad. We can't do this. Yeah. Right. All right. of us. Right. Okay? Well, we, we need yeah. to be better. And it, yeah, if you care about fixing something, you need to take that criticism and you got to drive it home. And, right. Because uh, and there's, there's nothing... I, I used to, I used to, I used to hate criticism, and then I realized that it's, it makes me better. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with criticism. I think there's, there's, there's a real danger in ignoring criticism, right. which, is, which is what I think what the church has done for so long. Yeah, yeah. I think no, they I need agree. to, I think they need to own it. Right. And yeah. say like, look, here's a hotline call. It. You know, I, I don't know. I'm sure that's being done, but I think they need to own it at every step of the way. Yeah. Because I think we'll be more forgiving. We as a community will be more forgiving. If they're an open book, who's like, yeah, totally screwed up. I, I, I honestly, I was, I'm a big fan of that website that you showed us about the Wisconsin diocese because I think every every single one needs something like that. Yeah. Just and I, I just stumbled upon that, right? But I think it's there's a lot of value, yeah, in it, um, at least from an institutional standpoint of saying, look, mm-hmm. okay, number one, these people are public. We're not going to hide them, right? In some like bougie counseling center right, right, in right. Evanston or wherever, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna I don't wanna say publicly shame because I don't I'm not for that either, but here are the names. Yeah. Like, here's what we screwed up. Here's right. how they screwed up. Here's how we're gonna do better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, they should do that across the board. Yeah, there was a um, there's a famous Hollywood manager named Bernie Brillstein who they wrote a great book, but he uh, and he says uh, leaders uh, make the tough calls and deliver bad news quickly. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, you know it's a fair. But that's kind of what we need in the Catholic Church a little right now. Yeah, and I I'll be honest and say I, I really like Pope Francis. Yeah, um, and I really like what he's done. I think I don't say modernize. modernize. Yeah, I think he's I think he's brought a new life to the to the church that <clears throat> it hasn't had right in the past. That being said, I think he's a like eighty-one year old guy. I think I think his counselors and his advisors to get in his ear and be like, "Look, you you need to say something, mm-hmm. okay? Because silence is not helping right now. Yeah, you're you're digging yourself a hole. Yeah, that might that may be your downfall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I I would be shocked if he resigned. I would too, especially right after one just did. But I mean, right. that's happened what once in the last six hundred years. Right. And can you yeah. imagine? I, I it would Three be living popes. Yeah. Oh well, two emeritus popes. But you know, yeah. like that would be unbelievable. It'd be the first time in humankind that that's happened. I just find it hard to believe that that's going to happen. Right. Um, that's not an excuse for him not to do anything. Right. right. But it, it it would jeopardize the good parts of his legacy if that happened too. Right. I also don't necessarily think he needs to resign. Uh, well, it, de- it depends on the time, what we find out more about the Thomas McCarrick incident. But and if it, what those allegations are, if those allegations are true, there's no way McCarrick's the only one. Hmm. Um, but uh, I will say this: they, uh, uh, you, how, how am I trying to phrase this? He has been such a leader when it comes to. He was the first pope to recognize that, like, there were gay people. Not that being gay is 
a thing that, or not, not that being gay is, is acceptable, that being gay is a thing. He was the first pope to even recognize that, which is incredible. Uh, well, I think he said, and, and this is probably what you meant, he was on the plane, and he said something like, um, what do you think of gay people? And he said, who am I to judge? Yeah, mm-hmm. but he, well, that was this a few weeks ago. No, it wasn't, it was a few uh, years ago. That clip's resurfaced, though. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. uh, yeah. a, a few weeks ago, he got in some trouble. In the broader context, it made sense to me, but I understand yeah. why I was misinterpreted. He said something like, you know, we need to support children who are gay. We need to do all these things, and if necessary, they need to go to counseling, see a psychiatrist, okay? Now, as a sentence, it looks like he's telling parents to send their gay kids to psychiatry. Yeah. But if you look at the, from the broader context, right, what it looks like he's saying, at least this is how I read it, and I could be wrong, um, he was trying to offer, saying, we need to support kids right. who are going through this. Right. Yeah. Through, through counseling, through talking with them, through being for them. Right. And yeah. you're still, I think he said something like, you're still their mother, you're still their yes. father. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Wait, so because he's been able to handle that, because he's been able to speak like that, I think that he actually has uh, a real possibility of handling this correctly. He has a he has the possibility of being like I don't know you know of of being look is more more than just a Catholic hero. He could be a, a such a strong figure if he came out and was like I th- this is over and I will see to it that it's over. Well, I and, want, I and, wonder and I don't know how this would look. Let's just say um, he called like uh, the cardinals all to Rome and had a meeting. Mm-hmm. And essentially screamed and hollered at him and said, this is not going to happen mm-hmm. ever again. Yeah. yeah. You you all need, like, here's my plan. You all need to get together right. and figure out yeah. how right. to fix this. Right. Okay? It's coming from me. Yeah. Because right. he's, I mean, unfortunately, no one can stop Pope. Yeah. He was, he was elected by God. Naturally. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. So I wonder if there'd be any value of, like, creating a systematic plan from the top down, saying, here's what we're going to do. I think from the pulp down tremendous value yeah I think yeah. it'd have to work though and I think you'd need yeah. buy in and say oh by the way if you don't buy in right you know keep walking to hit the county line right exactly yeah and yeah. I, I, I would be curious to see the reaction I think I think there'd be a lot of support for that mm. um, I just don't know if it's too late yeah it's never too late to do good right right no exactly yeah you can always never, turn around never yeah. too late to do good um all right. Well, thanks. Uh, yeah, thanks I think for that's a good note to end on. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, for Nick Sausch, good guy, helped me move into my apartment. I did. Yeah. My couch was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Never mind. Um, yeah, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Standing alongside survivors of sexual abuse, Attorney General Josh Shapiro said the grand jury uncovered credible evidence against 301 predator priests who abused more than 1,000 children. The time of telling these victims to keep their truth to themselves has ended. You've been listening to Dialogue De Novo. Until next time, thanks for hearing us out. Dialogue De Novo is produced by Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Executive producers, Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Supervising producer, Michael Kaufman. Technical producers, Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Edited by Richard Leibovitz and Zachary Rome. Audio mixed by Zachary Rome. 
Music written by Jimmy Thomas. Music performed by Bobby Day. Dialogue De Novo is a Loyola University Chicago School of Law student-initiated capstone project founded by Richard Leibovitz and Jacob Rome. Technical production made possible by SoundCloud. Copyright 2018.